Welcome to the Western New York Entrepreneur Podcast, helping Western New York entrepreneurs take the next step in their business. If you love Western New York and entrepreneurship, this is the podcast for you. Whether you have been in business for 20 years or 20 minutes, there is something for everyone. David Schaub interviews the top entrepreneurs in Western New York so you can take your next step in your own business. Hey everyone, welcome to the Western New York Entrepreneur Podcast. Welcome to another episode and uh, we're actually live from Nevada. Um, for those that don't know, I'm road tripping across the country. I know you, a lot of you guys are following on social media, but I, we just, me and my wife decided to do an impromptu trip across the country and we've been doing it for over three weeks now. Actually, today marks three weeks actually, but um, I just want you guys to know that if you hear any noise in the background, I'm in a hotel room right now. <laughs> so, and I know Darren's working at the Tool Library. In fact, I'm just gonna introduce you, our, our uh, guest today. I'm really excited to have Darren Cotton, uh, the founder of a nonprofit called the Tool Library. And when I found about Darren and his, and his nonprofit, and we had a, a, a Zoom meeting, because it's COVID, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I really wanted to meet this guy and learn his story. And once I learned his story, I'm like, I got to share this guy with our audience, with you guys. So really quick, before I introduce Darren, I want to thank you guys so much for being involved in the seven-day Western Entrepreneur Challenge. Yeah, it started literally this morning. We have a bunch of you guys in the challenge talking about entrepreneurship, helping you take next steps in your business. So for those that are doing the seven-day challenge, thanks so much for being a part of it. And if you missed it, don't worry, we're going to do one next month, um, but it's seven bucks and we just do a seven day challenge. So enough about that. Let's talk about Darren. So, hey, Darren, um, for those that don't know you, um, what is your story? What do you want them to know about you? What is exactly the tool library all about? Share what, what do we want to share, my friend? Sure. Uh, so yeah, we just had our ninth anniversary. And I think if nine years ago, someone had told me I was going to start a tool library, I would have told them they were crazy. Because uh, I would have had no idea what a tool library was, uh, or what the purpose was. But um, it's kind of funny the way your life turns out. And I couldn't be happier. Um, I grew up in the south towns of western New York, uh, Colden to be exact, ended up going to UB undergrad and grad school um, and really just fell in love with uh, the University Heights neighborhood which is uh, surrounding UB South Campus so I really like that community feel uh, you know being in a house getting to know your neighbors uh, but one of the issues that I kind of ran into as a student renter was a lot of the properties uh, were run down there was a lot of neglect uh, a lot of blight and a lot of that had to do you know with absentee landlords uh, out-of-town landlords property management companies that weren't really holding up their end of the bargain. Um, and so, you know, me and a, a couple friends just started kind of fixing stuff up around our, our home, you know, doing little odd jobs here and there. Uh, and just, you know, really kept running into the issue of being uh, broke college students, not having money to go to Home Depot to buy super expensive tools. Um, and so it was kind of just that experience that got me thinking, you know, I'm sure I'm not alone in, in uh, this circumstance. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of absentee landlords across the city, um, but even just, you know, people starting out with their first homes, uh, you know, maybe seniors on a fixed income. Uh, so really trying to think about, okay, how do we get people access to tools and resources that they need uh, maybe to fix up their home, grow their own food, 
Um, and at the time I was doing a lot of community work with uh, block clubs and neighborhood organizations. So how do we make it easier for those kinds of groups um, to get access to the things they need to improve their community? Um, and that's really where the idea for the tool library came from is kind of this community-based resource center where you know individuals, business owners, uh, block clubs could sign up for a small annual membership fee, which kind of helps us cover our costs and then get access um, to a pretty extensive inventory of tools. So today, uh, you know, we have a great database that actually tracks uh, all our members and all our tools. So I think we're at like 3,345 tools uh, as of today. Um, and that ranges anywhere from your basic hand tools uh, all the way up to, you know, rototillers, pressure washers, weed whackers, hedge trimmers, chop saws, drills. Um, and so kind of like the, the DIY starter kit, if you will. Um, and it's just been tremendous to see it grow and to see kind of how the tool library uh, provides something different to all our different members. Um, and that's really, I think, the beauty of a nonprofit that is grounded in the community is that you get to see how so many different people use it in so many different ways. No, that's so cool, man. And that, that was a lot. And you did it so well condensing that because I know we talk a half hour about that, but that is so cool. So, so how many tools do you have? Like over 3,000 tools, you said? Yeah. And how many members do you guys have? Uh, right now, I think it's just over 500. No, um, that's, that's awesome. And we actually, uh, we were a little worried. Uh, we closed down for about 46 days due to COVID-19, not really knowing, you know, how sharing would work in a world where, you know, there were issues with pathogens living on surfaces. Um, and so we took kind of that month and a half to go out to our membership and say, you know, would you use sort of a contactless borrowing system? What would you want that to look like? How would you feel safe with us doing that? Uh, and we were able to roll that out in May. Um, and so rolled that out for about a month from beginning of May to beginning of June and actually saw a really big bump in membership. Uh, and we loaned out about 530 tools um, and save people about $37,000 in the process. So uh, we've since transitioned to kind of limited walk-ins, but it was really cool to see, again, our volunteers, our board of directors and our members come together, uh, put their heads together and really come up with a solution that works uh, for everyone. Yeah, so for our new entrepreneurs out there, if you guys are maybe having a storefront or retail and you know, obviously tools aren't the easiest, at least when I bought my first home, uh, geez, nine years ago, I mean, I would have loved to learn about this place. In fact, when we bought our second home this past year, I would have loved to learn about this place because you're buying tools and tools and it just gets expensive after a while. So when I heard about Darren, I'm like, man, I really wish I knew about you when I was trying to fix about uh, fix all these things in the house. And you know, when you ever buy a house, you're doing things. So or so for our business owners out there, make sure you guys are reaching out to Darren, especially if you're looking to, to you know use this, the services. How much is a membership a year, by the way, Darren? Uh, so our basic membership, which uh, allows you to take up to five tools out at a time for up to a week is 20 bucks a year. So most people are making that back and then some the first time they take a tool out. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, like, to get some learning on the podcast as well is what is the difference between companies like Uber and Lyft and Airbnb who claim to be part of the sharing economy and enterprises like the tool library? What are the differences? Sure. Uh, so there's kind of this... Uh, broad category called the sharing economy. And when most people hear sharing economy, if they've heard of it, uh, they think of those kinds of companies. 
Um, and I think the big difference is that at the end of the day, those companies are really profit driven. Uh, they don't really have the community's best interest in mind. And so what they're trying to do is take limited resources and monetize them. So whether that's an extra room in your home or, uh, you know, downtime where you're going to be driving people around. Uh, and the difference between that and kind of what tool libraries, you know, not just us, but there are tool libraries and libraries of things across the country and across the globe is really the democratization of wealth, power, and knowledge. And so, you know, when we add a tool to our inventory, it's accessible to our entire membership base, um, not just a limited number of people. Um, and when we're offering workshops, you know, we want people to be able to not only learn something well enough to do it, but learn something well enough that they can then go on and teach, you know, five or 10 other people. Um, and so kind of this idea of actually sharing power, sharing decision making, um, and kind of rethinking uh, how a lot of the systems that we know today, how those things work. Yeah, so I, I, there's got to be so many moving parts. And I, I kind of want to take this in 20 different directions with this conversation, but I'm going to try to narrow it down to one thing. So for knowing what you know now, I mean, I imagine there's so many moving parts, but what were one or two problems you wish you knew about ahead of time with running a nonprofit or running an organization? What are one or two things like, man, I wish I you know, foresaw this or any advice you have? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think honestly, uh, with nonprofits, just being able to quantify the impact that you're having in the community. Um, I wish we had done a better job of that from the get go. Um, right now, we use a really wonderful uh, database platform called MyTurn, which allows us to know how many tools are going out, what are the most popular tools, um, you know, attaching replacement values to all those tools so we can easily do, you know, like a query and say, okay, over these months, we've loaned out X number of dollars of tools. Um, so if we had had those systems in place from the beginning, uh, it would have made our lives so much incredibly easier. And again, this idea of when you're a nonprofit, you have limited resources. Uh, people are usually doing three or four jobs at a time, um, wearing different hats. And so I think with having those kinds of systems in place, uh, it makes it a lot easier to work smarter. Um, and so we lost probably about three years um, because at the beginning we were using like an Excel spreadsheet to track everything and it was a literal nightmare. So I can imagine yeah. does my turn like a, like a free app or a yearly subscription. How does that work? Uh, so it is a yearly subscription, um, but honestly, like the first five years of us using it, we didn't have enough money and the creator of my turn actually started the West Seattle tool library. So they're super um, they're super open to helping, you know, organizations kind of get uh, a footing and they don't want to, again, create barriers for organizations. So um, now that we, you know, have a little bit more income coming in, we're happy to kind of pay that annual membership and know that it's going to support all these other uh, amazing organizations across the country. That's awesome. So it's my turn basically an inventory app that helps you guys sort through inventory. Yeah, so they, I think they call themselves like an asset tracking platform, but yeah, it's uh, libraries, but also universities use it. Uh, I think there are some municipalities that have adopted it as well. So it really is a great way to track and kind of quantify things like that. No, that's cool. So for me, I think it's so many people have so many great ideas or they start businesses or they have these huge passions, right? For, for whether it's community driven or just a business driven, but how did you guys get the word out about your organization? Like what has worked for you and what hasn't worked for you that you thought would work great? 
Sure. Uh, so honestly, I think one of the best ways that we've gotten the word out is we kind of pair the services that we provide in-house, like people coming in, borrowing tools with actually bringing our tools out into the community and using them on community projects. So whether it's tree plantings, public art, um, community gardens, uh, kind of getting ourselves out into the community and visible and showing that, you know, not only can we use these tools on community projects, um, sort of improving our neighborhoods, but if you sign up as a member, you know, you can access all these same tools. So if you have an idea or you have a uh, project for your home or your community, um, you know, we are here to kind of provide that infrastructure. Um, and so I think just people seeing us out and sort of associating us with that kind of work has really helped. Um, we have really strong partnerships with a lot of block clubs in the community. Um, so again, you know, when they're thinking of cleanups or tree plantings, their kind of first, uh, their first thought is, okay, let's see what the tool library can help us out with. Um, and then just, you know, a lot of our volunteers as well as board members are of the millennial generation. So social media is sort of our second language. Uh, and so we have had a lot of luck just kind of with that grassroots, um, you know, social media, getting an awareness, especially among kind of a, a younger audience. So maybe the first time home buyer, uh, someone that's doing like DIY or trying to live more sustainably, kind of connecting with those audiences as well. Um, you know, the kind of the old school, like flyering and direct mailing has never really, uh, never seemed to give us much traction. So we've kind of shied away from that a lot. Um, and kind of focus more on those two, kind of the digital and then kind of out in the community um, as our two main ways of getting the word out. Yeah, so do you guys ever like put a logo on a tool or when you guys do like a project, like maybe playing trees, you guys put like a logo or a sign out because oh, you, are you hoping they just like literally physically recognize you? Like how, how does that work? Yeah, so um, we don't do any kind of logos or anything, but teal is sort of our like signature color. So all the tools are branded uh, with like a teal duct tape. So uh, again, it's kind of a reminder for people if they inadvertently mix their tools in with ours, it's like, hey, don't forget, that's ours. Uh, but it's also, <laughs> I think, a way of, you know, people have really begun to recognize that like, oh, if that color, you know, is associated with the project, there's sort of that connection there. So I think that goes back to the idea of branding and just kind of, you know, what is your identity and can you make something that really is iconic and that is sort of um, unique to your organization or to your business. And we call it Tool Library Teal. Um, and I think that really has kind of grown uh, over the past couple of years to really represent us. It's the little things that really brand. It's hilarious. And I think it's awesome. And for our listeners out there listening to the podcast, again, like whether, whether you run a nonprofit or, or a for-profit, either way, again, constantly we're thinking, right? Like entrepreneurs constantly thinking, what problems do I solve? And what and where do those problems come from in terms of groups of, I want to say groups of people, but maybe certain areas or certain things. And like, again, we constantly want to reach out to be involved so we can help again. So many times we try to like, literally like, a, like throw spaghetti against the wall and hopefully it sticks. And that's sometimes a great thing, but I think it's being specific to certain things. So I think, I think you've done such a great job, Darren, um, being involved in the community with block clubs. That's just genius. I really do. And I think it's so cool, but. Hey, really quick. A lot of great things are happening for the Western New York Entrepreneur Podcast. We're doing free networking events every single month. We're doing them at breweries, distilleries, local coffee houses. So my question to you is, do you like free drinks? 
Do you like free food? Do you like networking with other entrepreneurs in the area? Then you definitely do not want to miss this. Go to westernyorkentrepreneur.com and sign up for our events or to be notified via email when the next event is going down. Again, the website is wnyentrepreneur.com. And if you're loving these podcasts, make sure you leave us a rating, give us a review, and let other entrepreneurs know about this because this is just too good to contain. We're in a movement in Western New York for entrepreneurs where we're just helping other entrepreneurs take their next step. No gimmicks, no sales pitches, just good old networking, giving information, and sharing what we learn so we can help our local economy and our local entrepreneurs grow. So be a part of this. Go to wnyentrepreneur.com. Now, back to your podcast. I want to ask you this question. How can sharing solve some of our community, like our community's most pressing issues or needs? Yeah, so actually we're really excited this year. Uh, we have our first full-time uh, staff member uh, working with us, uh, Maddie, who is an AmeriCorps VISTA. So she'll be serving a year term with us from March of 2020 to March of 2021. And one of her main projects uh, is rolling out uh, a lead remediation action plan. Uh, and so, you know, this is a huge issue in Buffalo. We have some of the oldest housing stock in the country. And with that comes a lot of lead-based paint issues. Um, and so, especially on the east side, we see zip codes with some of the state's highest percentages of lead poisoning uh, occurrences. So this is a huge issue. You know, lead poisoning has been connected to so many um, really terrible uh, public health outcomes. And so how do, we, how do we solve this as a community? How do we solve this as a city? Um, and there are some really great resources that are out there and have been out there. So Erie County Department of Health um, does some really wonderful workshops to actually teach homeowners, renters, how to remediate uh, their homes themselves in a safe uh, and efficient way. Um, but the challenge there is a lot of the tools and a lot of the equipment that people would need uh, cost hundreds of dollars. Um, so a HEPA certified shop vac uh, you know, can start around $300, but some of the higher end ones, you know, are seven, eight, $900. Um, so again, you know, a single parent with one income, can they afford something like that to ensure that when they're renovating their home, they're doing it in a safe way? Probably not. So uh, one of our uh, goals this year is to kind of develop a pilot project working with partners like uh, the county and working with the city to actually add those kinds of tools to the inventory. So uh, once individuals get the training, they can then come to us uh, and get those tools for a much lower cost. Uh, again, trying to remove cost as a barrier and make it as easy as possible for these individuals to be able to do the work themselves. Yeah, I think that's so cool. So what do you think your biggest challenge is going to be moving forward? Uh, right now, our biggest challenge really, um, we've done a strategic plan with our board and the two big issues are state, uh, space and staff. And so it's really great that we do have uh, Maddie on 40 hours a week. But um, again, we have to think about long term, you know, actually having full time staff, uh, because right now we are all volunteer run and have been for the past nine years. So you can imagine how volunteers get burned out. Um, it's really hard to stay motivated over that length of time. So actually figuring out, you know, how we can bring full-time staff uh, onto the organization and then just space. We like are literally bursting at the seams with tools. 
uh, and we'll be running uh, a fundraiser uh, starting in July called uh, our tool raiser and we're hoping to hit 4,000 tools by the end of the year. And so again, uh, kind of thinking about how do we how do we more efficiently store and make those tools easily accessible. So we are hoping to um, eventually purchase a, a building of our own that can kind of be our permanent home base. Uh, and again, you know, we begin to build equity, we remove rent from the equation, the chance of us being displaced, of rent going up. Uh, so those are kind of the, the two big goals we have, um, which are, are very large, but we have a really wonderful um, board of directors, uh, really wonderful members, really wonderful volunteers. So I know we're up to the challenge and I know the next couple of years are gonna be a really, uh, really incredible uh, transformation, I think, for the organization. Yeah, and, uh, the little that I know about you, Derek, this is only our second time literally talking to each other, but I, I have little doubt in my mind that you're going to get there. You clearly have a huge passion for what you do. And when it's passion driven, like it just seems like obstacles are like, they just don't matter as much or they don't worry as much because we're, like, we're going to find a way and you've built a great following for what you do. I do have a couple of questions. I'm going to fire away because we only have like, I believe like 10 minutes left. So I'm going to fire away if that's cool. We can try to keep them short and simple. But how, how do you get volunteers? Is it hard? Is it, do you just put like, a, you know, a feeler out on social media? How do you usually attract volunteers? Sure. Uh, so we're lucky being in University Heights that UB is literally right down the street. Um, so, um, you know, a large contingent of our volunteer base is actually UB students. Um, so we may have, you know, a student come in for a semester because they need hours for some sort of requirement or some sort of class. And that's great. You know, they volunteer for a semester and then they move on. Um, we've had other students who have just randomly done, you know, like a tree planting with us and they're like, wow, I love what you guys do um, and have stayed on for years. So we've kind of seen them grow from a freshman uh, all the way through graduation, which is pretty uh, awesome to see kind of that progression and development. Um, and some of those students have gone on to become board members. Um, so we have, I believe, three of our board members were at one time students and volunteers in the organization. So again, I think it makes it easier for them to understand how the shop works, obviously, if they've been there and done that. Um, so I really love that. And then I would just say um, for our other volunteers, again, a lot of it comes through that community programming. So we started uh, an initiative called Dare to Repair, kind of getting people to rethink waste. We bring out volunteer fixers. They try and fix uh, items for people for free. Um, and we've been able to tap kind of those events to get um, some more uh, mechanically inclined uh, volunteers to kind of come out and help us out. No, that's so cool. And how did you partner with AmeriCorp? I know I have some friends that did that and it's a really cool program. So did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? Uh, was someone to introduce you guys? How did that work out? Sure. So we actually work with uh, a local partner, the Service Collaborative, and they're kind of uh, like an umbrella organization for a lot of other nonprofits that may not have the capacity to apply for their own AmeriCorps. So they basically white, uh, write one large grant and then kind of distribute the AmeriCorps members accordingly. Uh, so we reached out to them kind of with some ideas. Um, they sort of talked us through, you know, what they, some of the outcomes they need to make. Um, and so we were able to kind of uh, make a match and we were lucky, uh, lucky enough to sign Maddie on in March and have just had such a wonderful experience. I think it is a wonderful program. Um, and I would also like to put a plug out there that I think if we're thinking about a national jobs program, look no further than AmeriCorps. 
as a program that not only works, but that I think pays dividends um, in the impact that they make on communities. No, that's awesome. So um, thanks for explaining that because I was curious about that. Um, so my question is, my next question is, for those that are already running nonprofit organizations, I know this is a general question because every nonprofit is completely different, but do you have any tips for people that are already running nonprofits that maybe are not thriving or doing as well as they thought they would? Any, any general advice you'd have for them? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think you just have to continually remind you, remind yourself of why you're doing the work you're doing. Um, there are definitely days when I come to the tool library and it's like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Uh, <laughs> but then, you know, you have those instances where people are like, man, I don't know what I would do if you guys weren't here. Like you've helped me do so much. And like, you really have to hold on to those small victories and remind yourself of, you know, that's why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and it takes time, you know, I've been doing this for nine years as a volunteer kind of in the whatever time that I have, uh, you know, that's not dedicated to working. Uh, honestly, losing my job at the start of the COVID-19 crisis was one of the best things that could have happened to me because I've been able to just kind of throw myself wholeheartedly into the organization. And it's kind of what I've always wanted to do. But, you know, when you're kind of working every day to like just provide, uh, provide yourself, you know, and me, uh, it kind of falls by the wayside, but these past couple months have been really incredible. Um, and I'm just excited to see, you know, where we're going to go in the next couple of years. And I think again, to others out there, just, you got to keep the faith and it's a, it's a slow, uh, slog, but it's totally worth it at the end to be doing something that you love and that you're passionate about uh, and that makes a difference, so. I, I agree with you. So all of us, in the end, of, I think all of us, we all search for meaning in some way, shape, or form. And I, I, I heard this yesterday from an audiobook, and I thought it was so good and it's fitting to what we're talking about is that, you know, men or women, whatever, we, we, we search for meaning. And when we have a lack of meaning, we immediately distract ourselves with pleasure, whether it's like Netflix or, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? So we literally distract ourselves with pleasure when we don't have meaning. So what's really cool is when we have meaning, we know it's just it's just a completely different realm, right? And it's a different type of satisfaction. And I think that that is so cool. Um, any advice for people that want to start a nonprofit that maybe that you got that maybe, maybe we have this idea of how to start a nonprofit, but any advice for those that really have never done it that want to? Sure. Uh, so honestly, for our first eight years of operation, we were not our own 501c3. We were actually operating under another nonprofit. Um, and at that point, we had kind of grown larger than our host organization. So we were like, okay, it's probably time for us to uh, probably time for us to leave the nest and kind of throw our wings and fly. Sorry, we just got a customer coming in. No, <laughs> oh, hey man, this is it. Um, but yeah, I would say, um, you know, if you can find maybe an organization that is similar to what you're hoping to do, or maybe an organization that might just provide you the framework to, to kind of explore your idea before you jump into, you know, paying for a lawyer to incorporate, paying for all those fees, like, just try and hit the ground running, like test out your idea and uh, see if there's momentum. And if there is, you know, kind of run with that and then think about, you know, what your next steps are, but don't think that you have to like do all those sort of formal steps up front. 
No, that's good, right? Why, why waste the time if it's not really going to work? Or maybe sometimes we think we have a passion for something and then we fall short. Like I'll give you a really lame example. I thought I would want to learn how to play the guitar. So I bought a guitar and I paid and I did lessons. And I'm like, wait, after a couple of weeks, I'm like, this is a lot of work. I don't, I don't, I guess I don't, I don't, I don't want to make time for this. I want to say I don't, I don't have time. We make time for what we have passion for, what we really love. And I, so I end up selling the guitar. I'm like, you know what? I thought I had passion for it, but I don't. But good thing I didn't like start a band, right? <laughs> so, um, but anyways, hey man, um, that's all the time we really have for today. But man, you really jam-packed everything in such a small period of time. And Darren, I just really appreciate you going. I, I always have a huge appreciation for people that really pursue their passions, have a huge meaning for their life. And they really just go for it despite our, you know, objections or, you know, just problems or, or just, they just see something and they go for it. And I just, I just love that. So Darren, thanks. Thanks for being you, man. Thanks for being, doing this in Western New York. Thanks for doing this for our community. And in case no one has said it lately, we appreciate you. We appreciate you so much. And uh, I think you're a, a big part of rebuilding Buffalo to, to what it is going to be on, going forward. I appreciate you. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity. And, you know, I'm just lucky that I have kind of a, a wonderful community to work within and that I've been giving that been given this opportunity uh, to kind of, you know, try something different and sort of follow my passion. So I appreciate it. Yeah. So one thing before I let you go is what is the best way for someone to get involved? Is it a website? Should they go to a social media page? If someone wants to get connected with you, Darren, how do they do so? Sure. Uh, they can visit us on the web at vtoollibrary.org or they can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and our tag is at the tool library. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks so much for being a part of this. And uh, I, I would say good luck, but I don't think you need it. <laughs> Thank you. If you loved listening to the Western New York Entrepreneurs Podcast and want more, Subscribe to it and head on over to WNYEntrepreneur.com for articles, what's coming up next, and to get involved. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.